You are loved. Now, don't everybody rush out of here. That's not the end of the service, and that's not just code language for the service is over. That is the overwhelming, absolute, eternal truth for those of us who have found redemption in Jesus Christ. And I trust that you lived this week abiding in the love of God. Open your Bible to John chapter 15, and we have been spending time just in one concentrated spot in the Scripture. So rich. It is like eating cheesecake. It is so good, just these verses that we're spending time in over these weeks, and we're learning what it means to abide. Let's read once again John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. It simply says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me." I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And here was our verse for last week, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And here's the verse for this week, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So we're learning this rich truth about what it means to abide in Jesus. All true disciples prove they are disciples by abiding in Christ. It means to remain. It means we don't run away. It means we're not spooked off or scared off by anything. We are resurrection people, and when you believe you're going to rise from the dead, you're not afraid of dying. You're not afraid of the risk of following Jesus at whatever cost it may be. So remain. Don't go anywhere. And then to connect, it means to unite with Christ. Christ in me, I'm in Christ, of union with Christ. And then it means to dwell. It means that we find our safety in Christ. We rest in Christ. We, we nest and make our home in Christ. Not of the home in this world, but our home is in Christ as we abide. And then last week we learned what it means to abide in the love of Christ. And we gave this definition. God's love is His self-giving affection that leads Him to act for our good even at great cost to Himself. And later on in this same chapter, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, but that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And we see the cost that Jesus Christ paid in order to love sinners like you and me. Now, 
everybody loves to hear a good sermon on the love of God. Raise your hand if you enjoy a good sermon on the love of God. Like I got comments last week, Trent, that is the greatest sermon I've ever heard you preach. I just felt so loved. I felt the affection of Jesus. I was so grateful for the cost that he paid. I just felt so loved. Tell me more about how to abide in the love of Jesus. Well, good question. Jesus actually answers that question. How do I abide? Verse 10 says this, if you keep my commandments, there's a condition to feeling the affection of Jesus. You only abide in his love if you keep his commandments. I know it's some reason, I don't like the direction this thing's going. I mean, I would really just like to hear about affirmed I am and how much I'm forgiven and the grace of God. Just tell me more about the chocolate fountain. I love chocolate fountains. I love to think about the fact that I'm the strawberry and the chocolate is the love of Jesus. Just, I just want to abide right in there. I just love chocolate fountain. I just love to feel loved, right? Well, listen, you know what Jesus said? Jesus says the only way to abide in the love is to obey the commandments. Everybody likes to talk about feeling loved by God. Few people will give their lives to obeying the commandments of Jesus. But Jesus says, you want to abide? Got to keep my commandments. Here, and he gives us an example. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's the cascading chocolate fountain. Jesus keeps his Father's commandments. We keep Jesus' commandments. Jesus abides in the Father's love. We abide in Jesus' love. And that is the only hope for us getting the love of Jesus to the world. And so we're going to talk about a little bit this morning about what it means to abide. And uh, we're gonna talk, we're gonna answer some questions. How do you abide in these commandments? Why is it so hard to obey? What's my motive for obeying? And tell me how the obedience of Jesus impacts my obedience. And so we're gonna look at those questions here this morning. And the first thing I want you to understand in the most simplest terms, I, I love things simple. Just simplify it for me. Here it is. If, if you don't hear anything else, if you forget everything else I say, here's what I want you to know. Abiding is obeying. Where there is no obeying, there can be no abiding. I mean, think about it. Obedience to God is the most fundamental obligation of every creature God has made. Right now, the planets are spinning around the sun in obedience to the word of God. Everything that has been made has been made for the purpose of obeying the command of God. And yet, the one thing that he has made that seems to have the biggest trouble obeying him is the human heart. 
We have trouble obeying because we like to think of ourselves as God. As a matter of fact, some of us have a theology that God should obey us, and we get to command Him around in prayer, and if we just have enough faith, God's obligated to do what we want Him to do. That's not the way an abiding relationship with Jesus works. God doesn't just want to be known. God doesn't just want to be loved. God doesn't just want to be appreciated. God expects to be obeyed. Where there is no obeying, there can be no abiding. And no matter how much you feel loved by God, no matter how much you think you know God, no matter how close to God you feel, if you are not obeying, you are not abiding. Another way to say it is this, disobedience is the enemy of, a, of abiding. If you wonder why God seems so distant, it seems like, man, I just, I want to understand God, I want to love God, but He just seems so far away, and He doesn't really seem knowable, and, and I, I mean, I kind of generally sense that I'm loved by God, but I don't really feel like I'm enveloped in His love, and it's really hard for me to worship, and I see other people singing and praying, and they seem to have this intimate, close, personal relationship with Jesus, but just seems like God's so far away. You know what your problem is? You're not obeying. If you want to sense abiding, you must give yourself to obeying. That's what Jesus is teaching here in verse 10. You know, those are hard concepts for us to understand in modern Western American culture because modern Western American culture has done everything to erase the concept of sin. For those of you that have been reading along in those hundred days of Bible reading, um, you came across the last verse in the book of Judges. Didn't you enjoy the book of Judges? I mean, just a miserable account of disobedience in God's people. And the Bible tells us in the last verse of Judges why people had so much trouble obeying. Here it is, Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. So everyone did what was right. Don't you wish it would have stopped there? But it didn't. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. In other words, they erased the concept of wrong. And they just said whatever they did, that's what was right. Everybody had their own definition of what was right. And they erased the concept that you could do any wrong. And why is that? Because there was no king in Israel. There was no godly authority who was announcing what was right and what was wrong. That's what happens when you have godless authority in a culture, is there's no definition of what is right. So everybody's just left to do whatever they want to do to erase all sense of guilt and all sense of shame. That, that's happened in my lifetime. I'm, I'm, I'm 53 years old and it's amazing how on my watch on this planet, the culture has completely erased the definition of sin. I mean, the concept of God as a lawgiver is, it has been lost. The concept that God has given us transcendent truth, 
which means no matter what you believe, what God believes is actually what is true. The concept that I am a rebellious lawbreaker before the lawgiver and that the lawbreaker one day will stand before the lawgiver in judgment, that's offensive in our culture. We don't want to talk about ourselves as criminals standing before the lawgiver who have broken God's law and will be judged by him. And yet Jesus says, you want to talk about love? We need to talk about obeying because Jesus has some commandments. I mean, even the biblical words for sin have been erased from our culture. We don't talk about committing adultery. We talk about having an affair. We don't talk about committing fraud. We don't talk about stealing. We talk about committing fraud. Uh, We no longer expect people to tell the truth. We just applaud people for telling their truth. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It seems like the only sin left in our culture is for you to call something sin. How dare you be so hateful and bigoted and legalistic and intolerant, especially when it comes to matters of gender and sexuality. As parents, we don't even teach our children obedience because we don't think they're capable and we don't want to hurt their little self-esteem and we don't want them to feel bad about themselves. And so everybody gets a trophy, right? And it's, it's hard for us as parents to teach our children obedience, but it's harder if we don't. I mean, um, I, I was doing some research this week and, and we talk about changing labels for right and wrong. I found out that uh, there's a new label for wrong in our culture. It's called oppositional defiant disorder. Do your children have this disorder? Oppositional defiant disorder. On WebMD, it's described as this. It is a behavioral disorder in which a child displays a pattern of being angry or cranky or defiant or combative behavior or vindictiveness toward people in authority. They may express their defiance by arguing, disobeying, or talking back to their parents, teachers, or other adults. Estimates suggest that somewhere between 2% And 16% of all children and teenagers have oppositional defiant disorder. How many of you think their estimates are a little low? How many of you think it's more somewhere like 99 point, like, let's just go with the 100%. Like, how many of you actually would confess that you have oppositional defiant disorder? As a matter of fact, that's exactly what the Scripture teaches. We're all infected with oppositional defiant disorder. Another word for that is sin. That's right. Symptoms of oppositional uh, defiant disorder are listed as throwing repeated temper tantrums, actively refusing to comply with requests and rules, blaming others for your mistakes, having frequent outbursts of anger or resentment. The exact cause of oppositional uh, defiant disorder is not known. but a combination of biological, genetic, and environmental factors may contribute to the condition. And there's a spiritual problem too. 
Strategies. They give you strategies for dealing with this. Strategies you can try at home if your child has ODD. Praise specific positive behaviors. Offer rewards for good behavior, especially for younger children. Model the behavior you want to see in your child. That's a problem. You know why? Parents have it too. <laughs> Avoid power struggles. And here's, here's the last one is my favorite. Find support for yourself. <laughs> I mean, get some counseling. Go to church. Pray. Repent. And do everything you can to abide in Jesus. Because we are all infected with this disease. I mean, in the church, we still call sin, sin, right? We're really good at that. The only problem is in the church, we don't often think of sin being in here. We think of sin being out there. And we're really good at praying for the sins of our nation and that our leaders would repent and especially our neighbors. We feel pretty good about ourselves because we compare ourselves with others and compared to others, our defiant behavior seems a lot more respectable than the disrespectable behavior of our neighbors. But listen, sin is Sin, disobedience is disobedience, and disobedience will keep you from abiding in the love of Jesus. Any commandment of Jesus that you minimize, dismiss, neglect, excuse, or blame on others, listen to me, will diminish your capacity to abide in the love of Christ. So why is it so hard to obey the commands? Let's answer that question right now. I want you to see this verse in um, Romans chapter 7. Go ahead and put that verse up. Romans chapter 7 says this, I delight in the law of God. Anybody raise your hand if you delight in the law of God. Do you love the law of God? The, the Psalms tell us that we are to delight in God's law. So there's a part of us that says, yeah, I want to really affirm that. I want to obey God. I want an abiding relationship. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this, says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law. There's two laws or two principles abiding in me. One of those principles make, makes me delight in the law of God. But there's another principle that wages war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Two laws at war. One is the law of God. One is the law of sin. That's why it's so hard to obey. There's something in me that wants to obey. And there's something in me that wants to be in charge. And the law of sin creates this war within me. He says earlier in this chapter, in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, put that verse up, it says, do not, I do not understand my own actions. How many of you have had a day like that this week? I don't understand why I acted the way I acted. I do not do what I want. See, I want to obey the law of God. But what I do is obey the law of sin, the very thing I hate. 
So is there any hope for people like these people? We have to understand the nature of sin. Listen, on a very surface level, sin is misbehavior. Sin is trespassing the law of God. But at a much deeper level, sin is a principle at work within me. It's in the human heart. It's not just words, it's not just actions that cause me to disobey. It is the expression of my bent, broken, fallen heart. So we have been set free from the penalty of sin. Some of your theologians are kind of working this around in your mind. I know, I know. You're like, wait, I thought I've been set free from sin. Yes, you've been set free from the penalty of sin if you have come to Christ, if you've been forgiven of sin, you've been set free from the penalty of sin. But because we're still here, we have not yet been set free from the power of sin or the presence of sin. In that sense, we're still waiting for the ultimate redemption that will come on the other side of our resurrection in Christ. And so we need to understand how hard it is to obey. If you find it hard to obey, you are just like everybody else, and Jesus knows that. Now, he, we need to, to have the right motive. He's like, I, I would obey if I just could have a motive. You want a motive? You have to get the motive right, okay? So let's answer the question, why should we obey? What's the right motive for obedience? So understand this. We are gospel people. We are gospel city church. We love to adorn the gospel. We love to talk about the redemption we have in Christ. We love to talk about the fact that we are dirty, rotten sinners, but Christ is a wonderful Savior, and He died on the cross in my place as a substitute for my sin, for all my disobedience, right? And so we, we love to wrap ourselves around that. We are justified by grace alone, through faith alone. We are not justified by our obedience. However, if that's all you ever think about, you're going to have a problem obeying Jesus. Because some of us think like this. God loves me. Trent, you just taught us that last week. It was the greatest sermon ever. God loves me. And I love to think about the fact that God loves me. And the reason I love to think about the fact that God loves me is because I love to sin. And I love to think about the fact that God loves sinners because I love to sin. What an amazing love relationship I have with the God who loves me, who loves to sin. Now, if that is the way you think, the Apostle Paul has anticipated people like you. Because he spent five chapters in the book of Romans elevating the love and the grace and the redemption and the forgiveness for sin. And he got to chapter six and he says, I know what you're thinking. This is what he says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He has just been talking about how amazing grace is. But if you think grace is so amazing, you can go out and sin whenever you want to, you don't get it. By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? And he points us back to what Jesus said about obeying. He points us back 
to the condition of abiding, and it is obeying. Yes, grace is amazing, but please understand, when sin ceases to be sin, grace ceases to be grace. There's an old guy, old theologian, theologian named Thomas Watson, and he put it this way. He said this. He said, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Jerry Bridges said it this way. The gospel is meaningful to us only to the extent that one realizes and acknowledges that we are sinful. My friend Dave Harvey in his book, I Still Do, said this, if we don't see our sin and all of it stink, then we will have no context for what Christ accomplished on the cross. If you remove the concept of sin, you remove the need for grace. And the gospel's no longer good news. The gospel is just news. Yawn. But the greater you see your disobedience, the more need you will see you have for grace. And this is the difference between religion and, obe- and, and the gospel. Remember, we're trying to answer the question, why keep the commandments of Jesus? Why should I obey? And it comes down to the way that you view the gospel. Religion teaches we obey to earn God's love, but the gospel teaches we obey because we are loved. That's why Jesus put the order the way that he did. Abide in my love. Doesn't it sound great? Don't you want to stay under the the chocolate fountain? It's so sweet under there. You want that? Keep my commandments. And where there is no obeying, there can be no abiding. Another distinction is this. Religion teaches that God's commands are killjoys. The gospel teaches that God's commands keep me from what kills my joy. You read the Bible, you see commands in there, you're like, man, that does not look like a fun life. That looks like I'm not going to have any joy. And yet for those of us who abide in Jesus and some of us who can tell some stories of train wreck chapters of our lives where we abided in sin that seemed on the front end like it was going to bring a lot of joy and a lot of happiness, now we get it. Because all that promised to bring joy actually killed our joy and now we see the safety and the love inside the commandments of Jesus. Jesus loves us so much, he doesn't want us to do anything to kill our joy. So we abide in those commandments. The love of Jesus is unmerited. The love of Jesus is unearned. The love of Jesus is unlimited. But please listen to me. The love, abiding in the love of Jesus is not unconditional. According to Jesus, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Nothing that you can do to earn the love of Jesus, but there's a lot you can do to spurn the love 
of Jesus. God does not love us because we obey. God gives us his commandments because he loves us. And God doesn't stop loving us when we disobey, but disobedience does remove us from the love of God. Let me show you sin, okay? Here's you on a good day. That's you. That's a Christian on a good day. Abiding in the love. You're so sweet. You got so much potential to bring happiness to people. Let me show you what disobedience is. You're outside of the commandments and you're outside of abiding. You want to abide? Obey. Here's what obey, obeying looks like. Disobeying. Obeying. If you want to abide, you must obey. Gee, I wonder what I'm going to do with that now. Okay. Good. Everybody got the concept? It's important. And here's the thing about obeying. The more you obey Christ's commandments, the more aware of Christ's love you become. The more aware of Christ's love you become, the more compelled you will be to keep his commandments. I'm loved by Jesus. Why would I want to do anything that brings him displeasure? And here's another principle. The more you learn to abide in the love of Christ, the more aware of disobedience you will become. Some of you are sitting here like, I can't think of a single thing I did this week to disobey Jesus. I'm thinking you probably didn't spend much time abiding with Jesus this week. Because the more you abide in his holiness, in his presence, the more obedient you see Jesus is, the more obedient you want to become as one of his followers. So, if you're not experiencing the, the abiding of, in the love, but you want to, then we need to keep his commandments. Which brings us to the ultimate question. If you're paying attention, you've, you should have already been asking this question. What commandments are you talking about? If I knew what the commandments were, I would give myself to obeying those commandments. Now, we don't have enough time to talk about all the commandments. First thing you may think about commandments, Bible, you probably know there's like these 10. There's like the top, God's top 10. There's the 10 commandments in the Old Testament. True, we could turn over to Exodus chapter 20, we could see those, we could see those again in uh, Deuteronomy, they're listed for us. And yet, we get to the New Testament, and there are about 1,050 commandments that the followers of Jesus are to obey. Now, we could take time to walk through all of those, or we could listen to what Jesus said his commandments are, when all of these Pharisees came up and interviewed Jesus because they wanted to know the, the answer to this question, these, these lawyers, these law keepers, they wanted to make sure everybody stayed within the law. So they came up to Jesus and they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? They were all about the commandments. And Jesus told them very directly. Let me give it to you. He said in Matthew chapter 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And Jesus went on. He's like, let me, let me just take notes, guys. Let me give you number two. 
And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all, all 10, all 1,050, all the commandments depend on these two. So what are they? Love God and love others. Jesus reduced all of the commandments in the Bible to two. And then he told his disciples, if you keep my two commandments, you will abide in my what? Love. And what are the two commandments? Love God and love others. And if you love God and love others, you will abide in my love. Relationship with Jesus is all about a love relationship from the heart. Do you understand that Jesus knows that your greatest problem is not that you're a lawbreaker? That's a problem. That's a big problem. But your biggest problem is that in your heart, you're a law hater. Your heart doesn't love the law. Your heart loves itself. And so we have our only hope in knowing that Jesus changes our hearts. And if he changes our hearts, the behavior comes natural if we abide in his love. Jesus' commandments are matters of the heart, not your external behavior. Your external behavior is the expression of what's going on in your heart. The heart of the human problem is the matter of the human heart. And Jesus has come to change our heart. And Jesus expounds on those uh, commandments that he gave in the Sermon on the Mount, famous sermon, and it's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in that, Jesus distinguished about how he measures his commandments versus the others. And so in Matthew chapter 22, he says this, you shall, go to the next one, Matthew chapter 5, it says, you have heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder. You remember that one? That's one of the Ten Commandments. That's the Old Testament. Jesus says, but I say to you, you want my commandments? Here they are. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Question, which is harder, to resist the temptation to kill your husband or to resist the temptation to be angry with your husband? Which is harder? One on the top, one on the bottom. Well, the bottom, I'm not, that, that, that kind of happens almost all the time, right? But you're doing pretty good not killing him. You feel pretty good about yourself if you're living under the Old Testament law. But you're feeling like I got heart issues if I'm following the commandments of Jesus. Jesus went on in the same sermon. He said this. He said, you have heard it said um, that, it, uh, that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, here's Jesus' commandments, I say to you that everyone who looks lustfully on a woman with intent has already committed adultery, adultery with her in his heart, in his heart. Which is harder to obey? Resisting the temptation to go out and sleep with somebody? Or resisting the temptation to look lustfully 
on a person. One on the top, one on the bottom. Quiet in church when we start talking about this subject, right? This is hard. These are the commandments of Jesus. You want to abide in the love of Jesus? Don't lust. He continues in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Most of us do pretty good at keeping that one. Hate your enemy. Yeah, we're really good at that. It's commanded, right? That was a misinterpretation of the Old Testament because the Old Testament taught love your enemy. Jesus reminded them this is exactly what it says. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Which is harder to obey? One on the top, one on the bottom. One on the bottom. Question. Is following the commands of Jesus harder or easier than following the Ten Commandments? It's harder. And the reason it's harder is Jesus goes below the surface. He addresses the sin underneath the sin. And if you want to abide in Jesus, you have to go below the surface to deal with the sin in the heart. So, I need more motivation. How am I going to obey? Last question is this. How does Jesus' obedience affect mine? Remember the verse. This is where we started, John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. But then he says, listen, guys, here's the good news. All you have to do is follow my example. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Do you see the cascading waterfall again? Jesus kept His Father's commandments. We keep His commandments. And the world gets the love because we love God and we love others as God the Son loved God the Father. You see, Jesus is both our example and our substitute. We talk about the substitute part all the time. We have to understand that because none of us has or will ever perfectly obey, Jesus perfectly obeyed, and I get treated as if I've perfectly obeyed because I am in Christ. That is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. But we must not pass over the doctrine that speaks of example. Understand this, that if I am a follower of Jesus, then I obey the commands that Jesus obeyed. And I live as Jesus lives. The gospel presents Jesus as both our substitute and our example. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly on our behalf. And so our response is to do what Jesus has done. And then he provides the example. And then he provides the grace when we disobey. So if you're feeling right now like no hope for me. I mean, I'm so jacked up. I, I, I'm like, I, I don't know that I obeyed any of those commandments. There's hope for you. Because you can step into an abiding relationship with Jesus by obeying the first command, which is this. Obey the gospel. 
obey by repenting of your disobedience and following Christ. And then when you mess up, we've got a great promise. Remember John who talked more about the love of God than anybody else? 1 John 1, 9, one of the most famous verses in the Bible says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not to redefine unrighteousness, but to cleanse all unrighteousness. So do you want to feel the love of God? Do you want to abide in His love? Then you must obey His commandments. I want you to stand with me right now. Bow your heads. I want, if you would, just to draw a circle around yourself. Would you just forget that there's anybody else in the room right now? We're going to give time for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Would you right now, no matter where you're at, no matter how many commandments you've broken, no matter how many commandments you even know, would you pray Lord, would you open my eyes to the commandments that I have ignored? Would you give me a sensitivity to the commandments that I've dismissed as old-fashioned, as unreasonable? Would you give me a new sensitivity to repent of sins that I've tolerated? Lord, forgive my sin. so that I can abide in your love. So that I can bear much fruit. So that you can receive much glory from my life. Oh, Spirit of God, we know that you have come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I believe you're doing that right now by faith. Would you just move up and down the aisles, penetrate below the surface? I pray for my friends here that may have heard only rule-oriented religious preaching. Thank you for the example that you didn't just tell us to obey, you showed us how. God, bring us to a place of urgency to obey so that we can abide, so that we can bear fruit, so that you can receive much glory. Assure us of your love, assure us of your forgiveness, and yet bring us to places of repentance 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.